What movie does our special guest Nick say is like Mad Max? What's up, Story Geeks? On today's podcast, we have Nick Duke, sound engineer from Death of a Bounty Hunter full cast audiobook, and also Josh Taylor from Network 1901 podcast. They join Justin Weaver and myself, Sandra Dimez. On today's show, we're going to be counting down our top 10 Tim Burton films in anticipation of Disney's live action Dumbo. Don't forget, be sure to check out Ashley and Anthony's blog posts and share your thoughts with us over at thestorygeeks.com. And while you're there, we'd love it if you'd become a supporter. If you support The Story Geeks on Patreon, you'll get access to our premium content, including our aftercasts and our audiobooks. After today's aftercast, we're going to share our top 6 through 10 Tim Burton films, plus our honorable mentions, and we'll also share what franchise we'd love Tim Burton to get his hands on. Don't forget, become a premium supporter today, and you can unlock access to all of that premium content right now. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. So let's dive into our top 10 Tim Burton films. We have Nick and Josh. Josh, uh, what's going on with Network 1901 podcast? Uh, Well, our podcast feed is doing some really fun stuff uh recently we actually had jay from the story geeks on to talk about the future of the marvel cinematic universe uh we're also going to be having a bunch of stuff coming up uh in the future we're going to have our uh series that shannon is going to be running called lipstick and lightsabers which is going to be a female directed kind of look into the fandom of star wars and then uh, I'm going to be doing The World That Never Was uh, Season 3, which will come back and take a look at some of the things that Disney wanted to build, uh, not only at Walt Disney World, but all around the world, and uh, why those things never got built. Ooh, that sounds exciting. We'll have to check that out. Have Man. you guys already addressed Beastly Kingdom? Uh, we did, yeah, in the last <laughs> uh, in the last season. Uh, we talked about Beastly Kingdom and the kind of mass exodus to uh, Universal. Oh. All right. Well, let's hear from you first. Um, oh, actually, before we do that, we're going to hear from our Patreons. So our number five from Jim Baldwin comes in, and he has Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Hmm. Hmm, I have not seen that yet. And that's one of the... <laughs> Tim Burton produced movies, I believe. I have one of yeah. those on my list. I know. We're kind of cheating on some of those. <laughs> Me too. Um, Mary Baldwin, she has for her number five, Edward Scissorhands. It's a classic. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Josh, let's hear from you. What's your number five? Number five from me uh, is my favorite on the list, and it is Big Fish. Big Fish. Wow. Oh, that's such a good one. Um, I put it on here because I think – that Big Fish is kind of the beginning of where Tim Burton has gone in the last 10 years mm-hmm. um, with movies like Big Eyes and Alice in Wonderland, uh, the things that are really kind of fantasy films rather than the dark gothic films. However, Big Fish is the best of that lot and, like, nothing else compares to it. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. That I- one it- I agree with everything you just said. I'll be talking about Big Fish myself in a little bit. Yeah, same. Okay. Well, let's hear from you then. What's your number five, Justin? My number five is, I guess, a little bit of a guilty pleasure. It is Mars Attacks with an exclamation point for proper nomenclature. You have to say it with the exclamation point, too. 
I can't always justify my love for this movie. It just makes me laugh. I love the use of the um, stop motion Mm -hmm. uh, in connection with the live photography. I love that Jack Nicholson plays multiple characters. And I love that in, like in Signs or almost any number of sci-fi movies where the aliens have some strange weakness, their heads explode at the sound of mm. bad country music. Yeah. It cracks me up. It's just a wonderful movie. Have you yeah. gone back to it recently? I have not. <laughs> yeah, I have. But oh. it's it feels the same. I remember seeing that in a theater, and I was pretty young when I saw it. And watching it now, older, I was like, I, I still got the same feelings from it like almost like watching it the first time you're like this is ridiculous but like (laughs) i have to keep watching it absolutely it is ridiculous it's a lot of fun though um nick let's hear from you what is your number five uh my number five is sleepy hollow and which is weird because when i originally saw it i didn't think much of it i I was like oh this is kind of i just felt i guess i focused too much on like how uh gory it was and kind of gross it was but like years on going back to it I was like oh there really isn't that much violence Mm. in it compared to you know other movies but you're numb now (laughs) yeah too too numb um so so uh I just love um I don't I don't I don't know if it's it's the writing or if it's just Johnny Depp himself how he carries uh that story um I I love the the contrast of um the duality of his character where he's he's this con this constable in new york but he is kind of sickened by the sight of violence and uh you know dead bodies and stuff but like he he knows that he needs to investigate to you know bring evil to justice because yeah. that's ultimately what he wants he wants their everything to be just and fair but like he's so it's it's fun to watch him be like repulsed by it, you know. Yeah. But uh, I I don't know I all the effects in that movie are great great practical effects, and it's just you know it captures that uh, that Tim Burton Halloween aesthetic that he's so good he's at. so good at and <laughs> you know that he's you know it's like his it's like a nice little signature if like you just look at a frame from that movie you go oh that's a Tim Burton movie right yep yeah his films are very. Um, very much with a, a, a Burton touch. Like you can see mo- mm-hmm. a lot of his films are like that. Not all of them. And actually my number five is um, the same as what you have, Josh. It's Big Fish. Um, mm-hmm. I And I, I have to say, I just saw a high school musical version of Big Fish and mm-hmm. it was not horrible. It was actually really cool. And um, oh, no way. I want to see this like right now. <laughs> I think it's over, but it was at San Diego's High School and they did a fantastic job. Editor's note, Big Fish does actually have an official Broadway musical version written by John August, the writer of the movie. Um, I mean, I was brought to tears. It's such a beautiful story. What I love about this story is that you see Albert Finney, who's a fantastic actor, Mm. and he's playing the father, and you have like this father-son strained relationship. And Billy Crudup, there's something about him that he's just really good at playing an angry jerk so he's playing that (laughs) role pretty well and you see you know edward with these fantastical stories of with a mermaid and a werewolf and the son i mean we've all i think seen it but you see that he's struggling that he feels like he doesn't know his father Mm. um and of course as he his father is dying he's 
angry about it um, all the more. But I just love that story of father-son or a parent-child relationship and trying to understand each other. And um, really what Burton's goal in that film was, um, or the author of the book, he was saying that it's about um, seeing that all we are are our stories. Mm. And so the stories that the father created was really helping him convey to the son who he was and the son finally realized that so i love that just it's a, a beautiful story yeah and i love that the, one of the closing scenes is everyone standing around after the funeral just laughing and telling stories about him right yeah. and that he lives on in that yeah. way through his life through his stories right it's such a beautiful story and i feel like burton restrained himself in not making it um as quirky as it could have been mm. e- even though you have these fantastic elements he kept it pretty pretty tame for he, he for treated Brittany. it very seriously he did for a for a fantastical kind of story mm-hmm. it's he it's it feels like he treated it very seriously yeah, yeah. it's one of the reasons that i kind of have hope for dumbo and then <laughs> it, it shares those circus themes but i do feel like tim burton showed that he knows how to care for yeah. A, a character that seems like it needs a lot of care and love. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it, I feel like Dumbo could be good. Yeah. And then you have Danny DeVito in like a circus again. So that's <laughs> <Yeah>. some continuity <laughs> yeah. there. Um, all right. So let's go, let's go with our number four. Jim Baldwin, he has Batman Returns as his number four. And Mary Baldwin has Sweeney Todd, Ooh. which I don't know about you guys, but anytime I hear Sweeney Todd, I think of The Office <laughs> with <laughs> Andy and he's, when he was uh, in Sweeney Todd and he just serenaded everybody with that. And Josh, what is your number four? My number four is Beetlejuice. Uh, It's on my list, really. I was kind of coming up with all of my reasons for them being on here. Um, My number one, I feel, is the most quintessential Burton-esque film. Um, There were other reasons, though, for two and three. So for me, number four, Beetlejuice... When people say Tim Burton, I mm. feel like they either say what my number one is or what my number two, four is here, which mm-hmm. is which is Beetlejuice. And so um, it's also interesting that this is kind of uh, a large play on um, on stop motion. You know, there's the mm-hmm. little stop motion scenes in here. And then that, you know, eventually does become a signature staple of, of what to come later with Nightmare Before Christmas and other films like that. But um there's nothing more fun, I think, than Beetlejuice uh, in almost all of these f- films. And it's such an iconic character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Whether you've seen the movie, whether you have just heard about it or anything, when he's walking around in Universal Studios or you <laughs> no. see an image, you absolutely know who Beetlejuice is. So it's just amazing the visuals that Tim Burton was at least a part of bringing about. And I can also say, without a shadow of a doubt... Um, Harry Belafonte's career would not have been as good as it was later in his career if it was not for Beetlejuice. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, because he had two of them. He had Deo and uh, Jump in the Line. Jump in the Line, yeah. Yeah. So, Justin, what's your number four? My number four is Batman. Oh, good one. Uh, When I was growing up, that was my Batman. Mm. And so I think we have gotten more serious better iterations of batman since then but the batmobile the aesthetics of gotham city 
there is something about that that feels so purely comic booky that mm-hmm. it just still fits for me. So, yeah. and that's one of the movies that, like you were saying, I don't think that is as synonymous with Tim Burton's name as some of the other movies on our list, mm-hmm. but is one of the movies that screams Tim Burton to me. And yeah, yeah, I'll always be thankful. And I don't for know. That. I don't know if people do recognize that as a Burton film. They just think it's Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny, too, is people look back at that one now and go, oh, that's the cheesy Batman. Oh. Totally. (laughs) Not as cheesy as some of the 90s ones, though, I'd say. Yeah. That's interesting. I would think the cheesy factor would always go to my favorite, which is Batman 66. Yeah. (laughs) Talking about the kids. You know, the kids today. (laughs) Oh. They don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's your number four? Uh, Mine is Beetlejuice also. Mm. And yeah, just I I love returning to that movie at least once a year and just watching it. it's it's fun to it's one of those movies that's fun to watch even like with the sound off because it's so visually interesting. Mm-hmm. Not that you sit down and watch the movie with the sound off, but like if you're you know doing other things and have have it on in the background. But um, yeah, so it like the style of that movie just really grabs you from the get go. And again. I'm a sucker for like practical effects stuff. So like all the practical effects, practical effects in that movie are fantastic. Where they're, you know, the ghosts are trying to learn how to be scary, and they're <laughs> like, uh, like like the scariest thing that they can think of is like, oh, uh, okay, I'll stretch my jaw out and put my eyeballs in my mouth, and like, <laughs> that's pretty you know, scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just and I I love I love stories too that when you see it, you go, you know, who who thought of this, yeah. you know, and yeah. like things that can only come, you know, from a particular artist, you know, and, and it, like if somebody were to do like uh Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian or something and you're just like, <laughs> this doesn't feel like, you know, this came from Tim Burton. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just, that's, that's my number four Beetlejuice. Don't say it two more times. Mm. No, I already said it. I already said it twice. No. So I got to say it one more time. All right. Well, my number four is Batman and Nick and I have actually talked about this before Batman came out when I was in middle school or junior high school we called it and I was already in love with Batman 66 so I Mm. got all the merch that I could I wore it to school was not cool Mm -hmm. Um, but just for the nostalgia factor alone Batman is high on my list and what was interesting I was old enough to know that Michael Keaton was at that point a comedic actor. So it was kind Mm -hmm. of an interesting, a very interesting choice to have him as Batman. But I think he did a great job. And we had Vicki Vale. I mean, Basinger was a a bit annoying in that film. But (laughs) Jack Nicholson as the Joker was fantastic. And I think he's probably on most people's top three of Jokers Mm -hmm. um, with Hamelin Ledger being somewhere on I would even say villains in general. Yeah, for movie villains. Just, I mean, it really. I honestly think if it didn't work with Nicholson, it might not have been, you know, as culturally impactful as it was. Right. Because yeah, it, it's really in superhero movies. Like, it's only as good as the villain. Mm-hmm. No, he was he was fantastic. And what I loved about this too is the soundtrack with Prince <laughs> and <laughs> Bat Dance. I know it gets mocked, but that was such. <laughs> such a chaotic mix of like guitar and bass mm-hmm. and dance music and then sound bites from the film. 
So it was just this menagerie of chaos and fun and Burton, and I, I loved it. So mm-hmm. that is my number four. All right, we're going to go to our number three. Jim Baldwin has Beetlejuice. Mary Baldwin has Sleepy Hollow. So mm-hmm. we've got some consistent movies in here. And Josh, what is your number three? My number three is outside of Big Fish. I think this is also my favorite film, uh, which is Ed Wood. Oh, yeah. And uh, Ed Wood, to me, is the best Tim Burton film as far as like pandering to what could be Oscar bait. Oh, Right. Like it it is kind of his Oscar film. Like Hollywood just loves movies about Hollywood, but (laughs) it's an interesting take because it's about the worst director ever in Hollywood. And it makes me think like Tim Burton's origins really do come from this kind of 50s, 60s sci-fi. And uh, obviously you brought up Mars Attacks already. Obviously that is kind of his homage to that genre uh, of sci-fi and horror. But really his take on who Ed Wood was, um, how he makes this ridiculous person and the like circus of people around him seems so enjoyable to be around. Like you really want to root for him, even though, you know, it's not going to end well. Um, (laughs) It's so good. And it's it's a long movie. And I just really enjoy it. I like the the take that he decided to make it a black and white film. And yeah. mm-hmm. um, Martin Landau as Bella Lugosi is amazing and scary and funny. And it's just a, a, a great directed and written film from Tim Burton. And, you know, you, you talked about it being kind of like Oscar bait. It was a huge bomb, like a box office bomb, but... Martin Landau was nominated, and I believe he he won for Best Supporting Actor. Best Supporting. Yeah. Yeah. The first actor to portray a movie star, like winning winning an Academy Award for playing a movie star is the first actor to do that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the movies, as I read through the filmography, I realized... I've never seen this, oh. and I need to. You, so, oh, you owe it. You really owe it to. Yeah. I, especially yeah. after that description, I'm going to make sure to see this. But just, it's incredible how many times Tim Burton and Johnny Depp collaborated. Yeah. I feel like with many of the films that we're talking about, you they're pretty synonymous with each other's work. So mm-hmm. it's just amazing. I, I kind of wanted um, the disaster artist to be a little more. Like Ed Wood, I feel like oh, yeah. I walked. Out oh, of, totally! I feel like I walked out of Ed Wood going like, like man, like he he made so many bad decisions, but I st- I was rooting for him the whole mm-hmm. time, you know. But <laughs> out of the disaster artist, it was just like, man, he made a lot of bad decisions. Yeah, <laughs> <And that laughs> but now like, I'm not rooting for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so Justin, what is your number three? My number three is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh. So this is where I bend the rules a little bit. We, we <laughs> never really specified yeah. whether it was director or how heavily he had to be involved. But um, it's often known as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. But mm-hmm. I always feel bad for the director because, you know, his name just gets forgotten in the midst of it. I, I forgot it. it. Oh, it's great. Henry Selig. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you know that. Um, so, but... The character of Jack Skellington, Sally, is such a rich production design, Mm -hmm. uh, original music, 
Danny Elfman could be talked about in many of these movies yeah. that we're talking about, <laughs> but that's one that I think he's very known for. And then just that it spawned um, an attraction in Disneyland that yeah. people argue. I I've heard people argue about whether the holiday overlay of the haunted mansion is better than the original haunted mm-hmm. mansion and that's just fascinating when you can have a conversation like that yeah. i do miss it whenever it's gone yeah yeah what's interesting too about the nightmare before christmas is i don't think that henry Selleck or tim burton or anybody that worked on that film really gets enough credit for the fact that they really rejuvenated stop motion animation mm-hmm. to the point where we now see at least one stop motion film a year and what's funny is like a took their entire idea and ran with it. The, you know, Coraline and Paranorman, like now horror is also synonymous with stop motion. Mm. Yeah. You can do some interesting creature design with stop motion and stylize some things with stop motion that just doesn't look the same uh, with Mm. any other kind of medium. So, yeah. It makes me think of like um, Evil Dead. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> the stop motion animation right? in, yeah. in those films. <laughs> yeah. All right, Nick, what is your number three? Uh, mine is Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Woo! which I was deba- I was debating whether or not to put it higher on the list. Mm-hmm. You have to ask me at different points in my lifetime. It's probably going to go from like <laughs> between yeah. one and three. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's. I mean, what can you say about Pee Wee's Big Adventure? It's just like, again, such like a simple concept of like boy gets his bike stolen yep. goes across country to get bike back you know it's like like mad max yeah where you're just like oh uh, my objective is over there i'm gonna go there and that's the movie but um you know it's full of all tons of classic tim burton-esque or tim burton not tim burton-esque tim burton scenes um like the creepy dream sequences but still uh, at the heart of it you know you he finds a way to make um, this this man-child uh, peewee uh, endearing to you and makes you want to, want him to find that bike mm-hmm. <laughs> by the end of it. Um, but yeah, Peewee's Big Adventure, uh, that's another movie I watch probably at least once a year because it's, it's, it's such a, you know, it's like going to Disneyland. It's a fun ride to get on. Oh, yeah. And by the end of it, you're just so many classic lines too. the yeah. just the paging Mr. Herman, you know, <laughs> like that. That whole scene is just amazing. That is a good one. You'll see it in my list in a little bit. Yeah. But my number three is Edward Scissorhands. Mm. So I think just thinking about this film makes me laugh. Johnny Depp is so great in this film, playing someone who's naive and someone who is diving into this whole other world. Um, I think it was uh, Burton and Depp's first collaboration, and I would say probably, in my opinion, their best. Um, And what what I love that Burton does in this film is that he gives voice, actually in a lot of his films, he gives voice to um, outcasts, voice and Mm -hmm. purpose to outcasts, and it's central to many of his films. And so here we have Edward, and he's initially an outcast because of his physical and social differences, uh, but the community finds value in him, and then they soon corrupt him, so then mm-hmm. he goes mm-hmm. back to his home where he's safe from a world who wasn't ready for his genuine kindness. But I just love that we see this innocent character engage in this world, and he gets corrupted, and it's like, you know what? He's not re- he's not ready, or they're not ready for him. 
So mm. he's he's saved from that, but he has learned and he's grown through it. So that is my number three. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right that a lot of his films address the theme of how we as individuals or how we as a culture uh, address the other, mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. the outcast, uh, the minority, the mm. marginalized. The, yeah, um, and that often we fail. Right. And mm-hmm. and that's just an interesting thing to be confronted with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why these, like Nightmare Before Christmas, like Beetlejuice, like Edward Scissorhands, they continue to thrive because there are always going to be teenagers and that's (laughs) usually teenagers are in that space where they feel like an outcast there's kind of struggling with where they fit in the world and so films like this i think resonate with those people resonated with me when i was in that space and just kind of said oh there's a place for you 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 dark little soul (laughs) (laughs) gives you a new shirt to buy at hot topic yes (laughs) (laughs) um all right, so we're going to go to our number two. Jim Baldwin, for his number two, has Batman. So that was on his list as well. And Mary Baldwin, for her number two, she has Pee-wee's Big Adventure. So mm. someone else with good taste. <laughs> <laughs> so, Josh, what is your number two? My number two is uh, also Batman. Um, something that you guys didn't, that didn't get brought up before with Batman is, to me, this was the first time that a superhero film felt um, modern. Mm-hmm. The, like the the Christopher Reeves like Superman films, you could probably make the argument for, but they still seem like very much good guy, bad guy, right? Like mm. Batman, um, Tim Burton's Batman is dark and is sad and has three dimensions and is a character you want to get invested in, and and that leads all the way up to today right where uh we just saw the super bowl commercials for all the different marvel films that are coming out and all of those characters have a very batman-esque um quality to them Mm. they have pain and anger and sadness even though they're still the good guys and that really kind of is derived from tim burton's batman um so i think he created the genre as we know it today Mm. right no argument yeah. here. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that. And going also to the well-rounded, the Joker is a far more interesting character to me than Lex Luthor uh, mm. using those oh, examples. Yeah. So, mm. Yeah, good point. Okay, so Justin, your number two. My number two is Sleepy Hollow. I love the aesthetic of that movie. Mm. I love the music of that movie. I love the weirdness of that movie. And that was the first movie... So speaking of Dark Little Souls, yeah. <laughs> that had me laughing at violence. Oh, um, wow. You know, so he's chopping at that tree mm-hmm. that the Hessian headless horseman is buried under um, and blood is squirting up at him from the roots. And I'm like, I don't understand why this is funny, but it is. And it's only you know? hitting him in the face. <laughs> exactly. Like, so Every time he hits it, no matter where he hits it, it's just hitting him in the face. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Dir- directional blood spraying roots. Yeah. Um, but uh, then Christopher Walken kind of played a cameo as the Hessian, and that was just mm-hmm. perfect. Um, Never and, says anything. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the the visuals of the Headless Horseman, he was one of the more menacing villains I saw kind of in that season of my mm-hmm. life. So that dark gothic look, uh, the forest reminds me a lot of The Nightmare Before Christmas, and yeah. I just love that aesthetic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Nick. 
Yeah, mine is <laughs> mine is also Batman. Oh wow! <laughs> that's another. I think that's what three three Batmans yep. for number two. Um, yeah, uh, like also for you, like that was my first Batman. Um, I my parents actually got me like a Power Wheels Batmobile that was then like in the shape of the <laughs> yeah. 1989 Batmobile. <laughs> got to drive around uh, the cul-de-sac and be a traffic hazard <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah in the name of justice um but yeah it just everything everything about that movie um you know it it launched uh like an appreciation for geek culture in mm-hmm. me like f- from the get-go like after that it was just like okay the the batman was great what about superman oh superman's pretty cool oh let's go over a wonder woman's awesome and oh what's that over there marvel okay spider-man oh well, there's more and like you just keep going <laughs> and before you know it's like 20 years later and yeah it's uh mm. from from the gothic i love the gothic style of it like even like vicky vale's apartment has like uh this like industrial like metal like uh, pylons with like rivets in them you know it's all painted white so it looks like a nice like uh, you know pretty uh, apartment but still has that Gotham gothic aesthetic to it like a production design something I, I, I always love paying attention to and in that movie is fantastic but um, yeah and again Jack Nicholson as, as Joker I normally don't like seeing Joker Joker origin stories because mm. you know Joker is like more interesting when you don't know where he comes from and stuff like that. But with the 1989 Batman, I didn't care so much about that. Um, ha- just ha- that little backstory of him just being like a, you know, high up on a mob boss chain mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, falling prey to his own actions kind of added, I think, to the Joker in that context. Yeah. Um, but yes just since since then i i've yet to still see a superhero movie where i I have that feeling again where just like it kind of launches that uh appreciation for for geek culture i mean uh, marvel gets pretty close to that for me Mm -hmm. um but i mean i guess you know you can never go home again so (laughs) (laughs) well the thing I, i love about burton is that especially for his own films when he's adapting a book or something he doesn't quite put as heavy of a signature on that Mm -hmm. and I think it's good it's it's appropriate but for his own works he just goes for it like what what is appealing to him and what he likes as far as aesthetic the production design Mm -hmm. he goes for it and I like that I like that he is being consistent in that like this is this is who he is and this is what he's putting out yeah for people to consume and I, I just I love that about yeah his I love style. that it, it they always feel like one cohesive piece yeah. like e- each movie it it's contained it doesn't feel like he's pulling a little from here and pulling a little from here it's mm-hmm. just like especially with Batman it's like I like I believe that world exists mm-hmm. you know within the context of that frame yeah yeah well my number two is Beetlejuice mm. or as I would say sometimes from watching the cartoon Beetlejuice mm-hmm. <laughs> um, first of all. First off, I was Lydia Dietz this past Halloween, so that was fun. Um, <laughs> but uh, Beetlejuice, it's a really interesting story because we have the lead characters of Beetlejuice and Adam and Barbara, and Lydia isn't as big of a character, um, but that's the story. That's the journey that 
really we're seeing unfold because yes, like Adam and Barbara become comfortable living in the house with the Dietzes, but for Lydia, she starts off as a reclusive, suicidal teen Mm -hmm. whose parents don't even pay attention to her. They're too preoccupied with what they're doing to pay attention. And then Adam and Barbara come in and she discovers something special about herself that she's able to see ghosts and they aren't nefarious. They're there caring for her like parents should, should be caring. Mm. And she goes from the beginning of the movie saying my whole life is a dark room and saying, you know, writing her suicide (laughs) note where I plummeted to (laughs) her death um, to someone who's doing well in school, which tells you that she's in a more positive outlook and she wants to dance. She wants to celebrate. And I think that's a really interesting theme there that you see, again, the outcast who doesn't feel like they fit in, don't have a purpose. And she finds that. She discovers that. And as that is all unfolding, we have this amazing music. We have this amazing mm. animation, mm. the style of the whole film, all the art sculptures that come to life, like everything. It's it. That is so intriguing and visually um, appealing that the sad story that's happening that then turns into a redeeming story that can almost get missed. Um, But Mm -hmm. that's what he does is he gives us something that's so visually appealing that even if we don't like the story, we like what we're seeing. It's Mm -hmm. art. It's art coming to life. All right. So now we're at our number one Jim Baldwin, his number one is Sleepy Hollow. So he made that one. Yeah, that one made a lot of people's lists. Uh, Mary Baldwin, her number one is Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Oh, no. Uh, Josh, what is your number one? My number one is what I think... uh, It's what I think of when I think of Tim Burton, and that is Edward Scissorhands. Um, I think of the collaborations with with Johnny Depp, like you said. I think of the pastel kind of valley Mm -hmm. um, of California look in contrast with... um, the dark grim you know home that the edward lives in um the fact that he got vincent price to be in it yeah (laughs) the the ideas of um this kind of frankenstein story and obviously like we didn't even touch frank and weenie in this top five um but you know he's he loves that frankenstein story so it's like if you want to know what's inside the mind of Tim Burton, I just feel like all you have to do is watch Edward Scissorhands and you 100% understand who he is. I I always got the idea that Edward Scissorhands was almost an autobiography for him. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And he, I think he so badly wants to be the Vincent Price character. Mm. I think that's a good point, like what you're saying. Oh, by the way, Josh, uh, Justin was doing like scissor hands when you were alluding earlier <laughs> to what your number one would be. I was guessing what, <laughs> yeah. what was the most Burton-esque, and I agree yeah. with you. <laughs> and I, I got it. Like my favorite scene from the entire film is the waterbed scene. <laughs> he where he just like continues to poke holes and like doesn't know what to do. It's like the best gag that you could have ever put in that film. Yeah. <laughs> it, and you're right, like talking about it being kind of autobiographical because it's really interesting if you think of someone like Burton and he is kind of a weird guy, you know, and and yet in for Edward, he's also in this dark place, like it looks grim, but he's really the better person because the things mm-hmm. that look normal and pristine, those are the ones who are corrupt and those are the ones who are harming him where he can clearly harm them and he doesn't he doesn't use his shears you know to slice them (laughs) up 
So yeah, I wonder if that's that's his vibe. That's what he feels. Yeah, I and feeling like it's better to live in reality, even if reality doesn't look perfect. Mm-hmm. It's there's a greater truth. There's a greater substance to that. Yeah. And yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. All right, what is your number one? My number Justin. one <laughs> is Big Fish. I'm going Ooh. back to the happy ones. I um, <laughs> I have watched Big Fish maybe more times than like the rest of my list combined. I love that movie. Mm -hmm. Um, It is so beautiful and funny. It's larger than life. It's amazingly touching. I mean, I know we've already talked about it a couple of times, but as story geeks, I think that story plays such a uniquely pivotal role overtly throughout that entire movie um, in a way that is special. Mm -hmm. It makes me appreciate my family and friends and whenever a movie kind of makes me want to live better that always jumps to the top of my list i i Mm. value that um and recently uh listening to the hamilton soundtrack i feel like it ends in a similar place where it's kind of asking you know everyone lives everyone dies but who tells your story and what Mm. kinds of stories will they tell and it just kind of inspires me to live better I think by that description, you're going to get a lot of people who have never seen Big Fish to watch it. Ewan yeah. McGregor is great in that movie. Yeah. He is such a charming yeah. guy. I wish he had carried a lightsaber, but, you know, we, 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 we have that in another movie. <laughs> wish he was my dad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> really. All right. On that note, what is your number one, Nick? Uh, my my number one is actually Ed Wood. Ooh. Um, and I just watched this again recently. Um, I, sh- I think, like... Of of all of Tim Burton's characters, um, I feel like I most uh, feel connected to Ed. Was it Edward J. Wood Jr.? I think is his full name or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I feel like I connect with him the most, not in every way. Um, <laughs> but uh, you don't wear the sweaters. No, not the was the Ang- Angora Angora, Angora sweaters. sweaters. Yeah. Um, it's he just you know he he has this relentless optimism. Uh, in his life, he he wants so badly to tell stories. He wants people to see his stories, and he wants to be known for his stories. Um, you know, and the, there's a, that scene where he's watching he's watching people watch Plan Nine from outer space, like looking back and forth <laughs> at the screen and the people. He's like, "This is it. This is this is this is the one that people are going to know me for." And well, it's like, true. <laughs> and it was true, um, but. Like it, in you know, it is sad that you know how how things play out and how like I mean, eventually he does get his wish, but unfortunately, it's like years later after he's you know he's died. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just I I love how like relentlessly optimistic he is and uh, like he how he ch- he just charms he charms everyone around to like his his enthusiasm for his work makes everyone want to be around him yeah. and and help him on on this journey even though they know they're not going to be <laughs> paid well for it <laughs> and that you know all the graveyards look like cardboard and like astroturf you know but like he still you know gets people to believe in him and I, I i just feel like people can identify with that when you just you want you want um you want to be heard so badly but i mean it's just unfortunately in the way he does it is you know, at the at the cost of, um, uh, you know, sometimes literally at the cost of 
other people's out of other people's wallets right. and and their and their time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I love the the line that Bill Murray says like how how do you do this? Is there, there's a scene where uh, not to give too much away, but like where it, all everyone on the crew has to get baptized basically to get money for a project. He says, "How do you how do you do it? How do you get all your friends to get baptized so you can make your monster movie?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, Ed Wood is that's that's my number one because I, I I feel like I, that's the Tim Burton movie I connect with the most. Mm. As Justin has never seen this movie, I feel like he must think it's the craziest thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> but we're talking about Tim Burton movies, so I'm like, oh okay, that's that that sounds yeah. about right. Also, yeah, sure. I, I I also love the relationship between Bela Lugosi and Edward oh, as yeah. it's portrayed in the movie because like I've, I've I've heard that that's how Tim was with Vincent Price. Like mm-hmm. he became friends with him late in Vincent's uh, um, years, and um, I think he brought that relationship dynamic into the movie. Because like yeah. when you when you see Ed and Lugosi together, it's just like you know, here's the, this boy that grew up loving this man so much, and like he when he, he finally gets to meet him and uh, you know realizes how down on his luck he is, he doesn't just go, oh, that's so sad for for Bella, you know he. He's like, I, I want to help this man. I want yeah. to revitalize his career and his life. And I, just, I think that's really special. So my number one is Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And I was so happy to hear that, Nick, that it would yeah. sometimes make your number one. Yeah, it was hard for me. It is hands down one of my favorite films. It came out when I was a little kid. And it was a really bold debut. I mean, here's this new director coming out and he makes a childlike male lead who has a house full of toys and mm-hmm. a fire pole instead of stairs, a wet water willy instead of a regular sprinkler. And like you mentioned, he has all of these quotable lines. You know, mm-hmm. I know you are, but what am I? And take a picture, it'll last longer. All these different um, lines. I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel. <laughs> yeah. And um, it really, again, we're talking about the societal norms that Burton kind of chucks. So it's a playbook for those who reject those societal norms. And they say, you know, I don't want to stop playing when I grow up. Um, and I loved mm. that. That really spoke to me. I thought, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to have toys. I'm going to, I'm just going to do me. Like if I want to mm. be silly and I want to ride a bike with, it has a little tiger face on it and yeah. I'm singing in the park, like I'm going to do that. <laughs> and I've done stuff like that before. <laughs> and it's fantastic to feel like I'm an adult. I can buy this stuff on my own and do this. Yeah. I had that. I went to, after work today, I was like, I'm going to Disneyland because I can. <laughs> yeah. I'm just running around <laughs> Disneyland by myself. I'm like, and I can wonderful. do this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and I also loved Elfman, his score yeah. for Pee Wee's Big Adventure. You know, you have this guy from Oingo Boingo coming in mm-hmm. and making his first uh, orchestral score. Yeah. And it's fantastic. It's, it's whimsical. It's silly. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty iconic when people hear it. They go, oh, that's the thing from from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Mm-hmm. So that that's it. That's my number one. That's it for today's show. Special thanks to Nick Duke, the sound engineer of the Death of a Bounty Hunter full cast audiobook, Josh Taylor from Network 1901 Podcast, and Sandra Demas for joining me on today's show. If you want more content from the Story Geeks related to Tim Burton's Top 10, head over to thestorygeeks.com. 
This week, you'll find blogs from Ashley and Anthony. And if you head over right now and become a supporter of the Story Geeks for $2 a month or more, you'll unlock access to this week's Aftercast, where we discuss our top six through 10 of our Tim Burton top favorites. And we'll also talk about what properties we want Tim Burton to get his hands on next. Coming up, we have a lot of great content from the Story Geeks, so stay tuned and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of it. If you enjoyed today's show or any of the Story Geeks podcast, please share our show with a geek friend or review the Story Geeks podcast on iTunes. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth.